Father, I thank you because you are good. I thank you because you are powerful and mighty. And you know that today my voice is feeling rather weak. I do think that the enemy does not want this message shared today. And so I ask that you would give me just enough strength and clarity in my voice today to share it. I thank in your name. Amen. I played high school tennis. It's true. In fact, I want to prove it to you. This was my tennis racket that I used in high school. But I actually played varsity tennis. Now, in case you fall under the impression that I'm actually really good at tennis or something like that, let me tell you a little bit about the high school in which I played tennis. Can I do that? It's called Middleburg High School. It was about 30 minutes south of Jacksonville, Florida, and it's what I could best characterize as being a kind of a country high school. And I don't mean in the exclusive country club kind of a way, but, but in the most students wear cowboy boots and working boots, and it's actually out in the country kind of a way. Football, for sure. Tennis, no. That's why we were all so surprised that day when they announced that they were going to launch a tennis team at Middleburg High School. So I made my way on that one afternoon. They were going to have an orientation, a little informational meeting. And I walked in and they asked me the question. They said, Rodley, so do you play tennis? And I was honest with them. I had only picked up a tennis racket for the first time about two months prior to that. And I said, look, I'm just kind of learning a little bit. And they said, that's good enough for us. Welcome to the team. (laughs) So don't miss this. There was so little interest in the sport of tennis in that school that all you had to do to join the team was to show up. But I'd, I'd love to be able to tell you some stories of how by the end of that year, I accelerated and I grew at such an incredible pace that at the awards banquet at the end of the tennis season, I won the Most Valuable Player Award. I would love to be able to tell you that, but that would be lying. Because you see, I mostly failed. Constantly. I think in that entire tennis season, I won maybe one, maybe two matches, if we're going to be generous. I failed a lot. Here's the question. Have you failed in some area of your life in some kind of consistent way? I mean, maybe for you, you've experienced some failure in terms of relationships. You've been trying to connect and you've tried time and time again, but for whatever reason, you seem to falter and you feel like you really can't connect in that way. 
maybe for you in the professional working arena, you just feel like you keep applying and you just can't seem to find some consistency in a particular company, in a particular job, and you can't quite go through the levels and it seems like you can't quite make it. It seems like you're constantly failing. Or maybe in the world of academics, you feel like you're not quite making the grade constantly. Now, there's something that I know about you, and I hope this doesn't surprise you. In fact, it's something that we share together. It's sin. You see, every single one of us have this propensity, this drive, this inclination towards sin. It's in our nature. It's what I call sin with a capital S. Oh, but then there's this other kind of sin, right, with a lowercase s. These are these behaviors, these actions. One is the root, the other is the fruit. These things, the little sins, they come about as a result of our sinful nature. Now, every single one of us, on occasion, we sometimes experience faults and failures in this area. Isn't that the truth? We all sometimes fall. We all sometimes fail a little bit. But I wonder if there's anybody here today who feels like they are constantly failing in the same area of their life. I wonder if there's anybody here today that in regards to sin feels like they keep going over the same exact potholes of sin. They're like, well, there there it goes again. I thought I was over that, but I guess not because I keep bumping into it and it's messing up my wheels. Today I want to talk to you about how to live a victorious Christian life. And let me just make a quick comment on that particular topic. Because oftentimes when we talk about victory in Christ, it makes people uncomfortable. I think one of the reasons why some people get uncomfortable is because sometimes the speaker himself or herself, they come across as some kind of holy Moses bringing these truths down to the simple, sinful people down below. Or sometimes it's because we're afraid of or they're actually talking about this thing that a lot of theologians call last generation theology or final generation theology. I want you to relax because we're not talking about that and I'm not advocating that. We're going to look at four simple principles on how we can live a victorious Christian life. We're going to jump right into the very first principle. And by the way, I want to encourage you, if you have a pen or a pencil, take notes because I believe that God can use this to bless you and to bless somebody else as well. So here's the very first principle. Believe that victory through Christ is possible. Believe that victory through Christ is possible. John chapter 8, verse 34. Turn with, your, turn with me in your Bibles there. John chapter 8, verse 34, and it reads, Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. I really like how the English Standard Version translates this word, though. It says, whoever practices sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. 
Now, there's a couple of realities, a couple of metaphors that Jesus is playing with and outlining here in this particular story for us. And the first is this, and I think you will recognize this, that sin binds you, right? Sin shackles you. Sin, when you practice sin, it turns you into a slave. So that's the first reality that Jesus is highlighting here, and here's the second one. Once you become a slave, you, I'm sorry, but you cannot free yourself. In other words, if you were a first century slave, and you got tired of the whole slave gig, and you didn't want to be a slave anymore, you could not just simply wake up one day and declare and issue a fiat and say, I am thusly no longer a slave. You could try to do that, but nobody would pay attention. You would still be a slave. See, once you become a slave, you cannot do anything to free yourself. But notice what the scripture is saying. It says, but someone else that has authority and that has power can free you from being a slave. You know, my father proudly served as a Navy chaplain for 20 years. And his first tour of duty was in Okinawa, Japan. And I still remember fondly walking with my dad on the base, that marine base, and seeing how people would react to him. Because just as soon as they could get within eyesight of his shoulder and see his rank and what he had on there, they would stand a little more erect and they would salute For one, they would salute because he's a chaplain, and they respect chaplains in the military. But number two, because he outranked them. And I remember every time I would see that, they would just, they would salute. My dad would would salute back and continue walking. Every time I would see an interaction like this, I would just kind of stand back and be in awe. I'd say, wow, that's really cool. Because I kind of get some of, the, some of the respect, right, that's kind of being deflected from him because I'm with him. And, you know, sometimes my mom and I and my family, sometimes we would just kind of stop by his office. And it didn't matter what he was doing. He might be meeting with some of his personnel or some of his people. He would stop and he would pause and I would run up to him and I would give him a hug and a kiss. I didn't salute. I didn't ask for permission. I didn't follow the decorum in the military. I didn't even know there was such a thing. I mean, I was just a little kid. I would just run up to him and hug him and kiss them. Do you know why? Because the son has special rights with the father. I would do that because the chaplain was my father. And so now come with me to this story. It says, a slave does not abide in the house forever. He doesn't have authority and he doesn't have the power. 
It says, but a son abides forever. He's allowed to be in there. And it says, therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. He's using this metaphor. It says, the son has the same prerogatives and power and authority of the father. And here's what the son is allowed to do because he has special rights with the father. The son can say, you know what? I want to set this slave free. And the father will go, son, because I love you, that, that slave is now free. Hallelujah. So by declaration, someone with more authority can free that slave. So listen now to what the scripture is saying. Jesus is saying, I am that son. I am that one that has full authority. And not just that. I can set the bondman free. That slave of sin, I can burst, I can crush, I can take those shackles completely apart and set them completely free. Here's the truth, guys, that I need you to understand. Believe that victory through Christ is possible. Believe that victory through Christ is possible. You know, every single semester, people will come to visit me. Students will come to visit me in my office up there. I'm pointing to that corner because that's where my office is up there. And inevitably, they'll begin telling me stories of some kind of addiction or some kind of sin, this thing that they're struggling with and that they're held captive to. Two weeks ago, I received a phone call, by the way. They called the front desk, and I don't know if this happens too often in other churches. It never happened in my previous church district. But here at PMC, people will call from all across the country to to pray with one of the PMC pastors. Most of you don't know that. And so here on this particular day, somebody I got a, a call from the front desk from Jana, and she said, hey, I have someone on the line that would like to pray with a pastor. You're the only one around. Is it, can you take the call? And I said, sure, send her over. So she transfers the call over. I pick up the phone, and she said, pastor, I cannot tell you who I am or where I'm calling from. So you know it's going to be an interesting conversation. And as she began to share, it became immediately clear that she was struggling with sexual sin in her life. She was struggling with pornography. And she said, you know, I want to come, I'm calling you, and I want to ask you if this is okay or not. Because I've gone to some of my local church leaders, and they're saying that this is not really an issue. And I told her, you know, I wonder if they're saying that because they're struggling with that same issue. I said, because the Bible is unequivocal, and I began sharing with her some scriptures related to that, and I later emailed, she, she shared her email address with me, and I sent her an email. But here's what I shared with her, here's what I share with everybody that comes to me when they're struggling with something. I said, guys, here's the first thing that I need you to understand, and you need to believe me when I say this, that Christ can give you the victory. 
You need to believe that. I say that to everyone because a lot of people that have been struggling with sin, they're tired. They're kind of worn out. They keep coming back to that sin and they feel like they're always going to keep coming back to that sin. And oftentimes they're beginning to lose hope. And so I said, listen to me now and listen very clearly. I want you to understand this first and foremost, that Christ can give you the victory. Christ can give you the victory. I want to share a quote with you by Ellen White. It says, for every class of temptations, there is a remedy. We are not left to ourselves to fight the battle against self and our sinful natures in our own finite strength. Jesus is a mighty helper, a never-failing support. None need fail or become discouraged when such ample provision has been made for us. How many say amen? For every class of temptation, there is a remedy. Can we repeat this together today? Can you repeat this with me? Christ can give me the victory. Let's share that together. Christ can give me the victory. One more time. Christ can give me the victory. Say it like you mean it. Come on. Christ can give me the victory. It doesn't matter what sin you've been bound to. It doesn't matter for how long you've been bound to it. It doesn't matter if your parents passed on to you these hereditary tendencies and that alcoholic gene or whatever. Christ, through the resurrected power of Jesus, can give you the victory. And please believe me when I say that, even if you are not yet experiencing it. Based upon the authority of the word of God, Christ can give you the victory. Our principle number two. Commit to putting sin and temptation away from you. So you need to do what you can to putting sin away from you. All right, so let's be honest with ourselves for a few moments, shall we? We sin because we like to sin. Isn't that the truth? Here's what the devil does. The devil never gives you my temptation. The devil tailor makes every single temptation for every single person. He knows what you like very well. And so let me tell you a temptation that doesn't work on me, all right? Let's say it's the summer, and we go to our beach here in Lake Michigan, and it's 95 degrees and steaming hot, and all of a sudden someone presents me with a cold, crisp bottle of beer. That's not a temptation for me, I'll be honest with you. I tried beer before back in the day and it doesn't even taste good. So it's a little hard for me to understand, but that's not a temptation for me. You know what is a temptation for me though? And this is gonna sound a little bit funny, but I'm being serious. You know, sometimes people will 
we'll give the pastors little gifts and things or food, and, and I appreciate it, and please keep it coming. <laughs> but one day, a, a dear church member brought some fresh-baked chocolate chip cookies. Now, there's nothing wrong with cookies, no problem with the chocolate, for most people. For me, though, I can't just have a serving, though. However you define a serving, maybe for you that's two or three. For me, it's like five or six or seven. And I found myself that I was inevitably just destroying that plate of chocolate chip cookies all by my lonesome. Nobody else was participating, right? It was just all me. And so I think it was the next day that I told Yvette, my wife, I said, honey, I need you to do something for me because I'm not going to do it by myself. Because I would kind of just really, really indulge on these cookies, right? I said, honey, can you throw those away? And if you gave us those cookies, please don't be offended. I said, honey, can you throw those out? She said, sure. Because she knew that I was not going to have the power to do it in and of myself just because I love that, you know, I, I love cookies. And so we have to do, and I've since learned that we cannot bring things like cookies into our house, some of these sweet things, because I can't do it. So I said, honey, let's please, let's not buy these kinds of things. Because if it's in my house, if it's in my house, that's it. Are you with me, church? And so I said, I don't even want it to come in my house so that I don't destroy that whole box of cookies and eat them all by myself. Notice what Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says. It says, therefore we also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, do you notice that the Apostle Paul is using this athletic running metaphor? For those of you that are athletes or that you've ever practiced a sport, you know that if you want to win the race, not just finish the race, you need to be intentional about training for the race. Is that not the truth? And so here he's using this metaphor. He's saying, look, lay aside every weight, every sin, every single thing that holds you down, every single thing that can keep you from finishing that race on time, you need to get rid of it. And that's the second principle, guys. We need to commit to putting sin and temptation as far away as possible from us. So how exacting, let me ask you a question, how exacting, how purposeful do you think we should be in putting sin far away from us? You know, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus gives this really shocking statement. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, do what? I mean, it almost sounds kind of violent. He says, pluck it out. Like, take it from you. He says, if your right hand causes you to sin, do what? 
says, cut it off. And of course, Jesus is using a sense of hyperbole here, but what he's saying is very, very clear, that we need to be radical about dealing with sin in our life. The the eye, of course, represents things that we see and expose ourselves to. The hands, of course, represent actions and things that we do. He says, look, you, you need to do whatever it takes to remove sin and temptation from your life. So here's the question. Are there some ways that we allow sin and temptation to come into our life? Even perhaps subtly, are there some ways that we allow it to sneak into our life? You know, about two months ago, Yvette and I were, we wanted to watch a movie. It was a Saturday night. Kids were in bed, open up Apple TV, and I, I like true story kind of stuff, biographies, and I can't even remember what movie it was, but it was one of these true story movies, and so, all right, we, we rent it through Apple TV, and we're watching this movie, and it was perhaps two minutes into the movie when all of a sudden this curse word was said. And I remember flinching, I was kind of like, ooh, you know, it kind of hurts my ears to hear these cuss words, these curse words, but I just continued watching. And just another minute or two later, there was another curse word or two, and then all of a sudden in my mind, I'm telling myself, oh, okay, maybe they're front-loading all the cuss words in this movie. So maybe by the seven-minute mark, maybe they'll be done with all the curse and they got it out of their system, and they'll be good. And so I'm thinking to myself, I'm just kind of going to hold off and wait to see if things get a little bit better. And I continue watching the movie, and there's more curse words, and I'm flinching, but I'm still receiving it. And all of a sudden, Yvette says something. She says, Rodley, I think we probably need to turn this off. And I remember, and I turned to her, and I said, honey, but we paid like $7 for this thing. And she's like, yeah, I know, but we probably need to turn this off. And the Spirit convicted me through the voice of my wife, Yvette. I said, you're right. No, you're right. You're right. Click. There went $7 or so from Apple TV and just about seven minutes into the movie. But what's the point? We were not created to behold violence. Our ears were not created to receive cuss words. I'm just telling you, right? Instead, we were created for Eden. It begins in a garden and ends in a garden. We were created for beauty, for paradise. Those are the things we need to expose ourselves to. And at that moment, I became convicted. I said, you know what? I need to remove that from my life. And so here's the question, are you doing everything in your power to remove sin and temptation from your life? All right, principle number three, three. ask God to give you a hatred for sin. So you've walked away from the sin, and now ask God to give you a hatred for that thing that you've turned your back on. Now, hate is a strong word, isn't it? 
right? I mean, if my boys say that they hate something or that they hate someone, I'm just like, no, 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 not hate, dislike, right? I try to modify the word just because hate is such a strong word, but check this out. There's actually some things that the Bible says that the Christian should be about hating. Notice what it says, Psalm 97, verse 10. It says, let those who love the Lord do what? Hate what? Hate evil, for he guards the lives of his faithful one and delivers them from the hand of the wicked. How about Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13? Check this out. The fear of the Lord is to do what? Is to hate evil. So evidently, if I am walking in a relationship with Jesus Christ, I'm supposed to be about hating evil. And this is something that you can pray for and that I've prayed for. Why? Because sin in my own nature is something that I love and something that I long for. So I've said, God, help me to hate that thing. I don't want to like that thing. Help me to hate it. In Genesis chapter 39... We find this really fascinating story. You guys know the story of Joseph in Potiphar's house. And Joseph began to bless him in an extraordinary way. But then the devil shows up, doesn't he? Through Potiphar's wife. And the Bible tells us that Potiphar's wife essentially began propositioning the man. The Bible says that he was good looking. This is good looking, built handsome guy, and she casts a longing eye upon him, and she begins propositioning him. I mean, she comes straight out and says it, come to bed with me. Now, fellas, can I talk to you for a minute? It takes a lot of strength, wouldn't you agree? Because the truth is that if you knew you could absolutely get away with something like this and a woman comes up to you and she's saying, hey, I'm totally available. In fact, come to bed with me. Right? If nobody's going to find out, there's places we can go. I'll keep it a secret. Come to bed with me. I mean, it's going to take a strong, Holy Spirit-filled man, would you agree with me, to reject that, right? But then Joseph responds in this fascinating way. He says, how could I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Now, that's not what I would have expected. I would have expected him to say, how then could I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Potiphar, because, hey, he's the one that has given me these opportunities. He's the one that I'm now working for. He's my master. He's my manager. He's my leader. I can't do this thing against Potiphar. And for the longest time, I didn't understand this. And then one day, the Holy Spirit helped me to understand why he said, how could I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Do you know why he said that? Because Joseph had become a friend of God. And when you become a friend of God, you don't want to injure him. You don't want to hurt him. When you're walking with Jesus 
and a temptation comes your way, you begin to think about, well, wait a second. If I indulge in this temptation, this is going to, indi- this is going to hurt and injure my master. In the same way that I can hurt a friend if I betray him. That same feeling that you get, right? I said, man, I, I, I completely went against my friend. That's, that's the feeling, right? When we do something, when we sin, right? When we indulge in this thing against God. Why? Because Joseph had become a friend of God. He said, look, Mrs. Thanks, but no thanks. There's no way I'm doing this sin, this wickedness and sin against God. And he took principle number two to heart, didn't he? In fact, he said, I'm out of here. She said, wait hold, on. wait, hold on. He said, you can keep that piece of clothing. I'm running away. He's doing everything that he could to keep sin and temptation far away from him. So principle number three here is ask God to give you a hatred for sin. Principle number four, our last principle, put on your armor before the battle. Put on your armor before the battle. I'm going to read to you a quote from great prolific author Morris Venden. He says, temptations are not overcome at the moment of temptation. They are overcome before the temptation ever hits. You catch that? I want you to see this principle. Notice Mark chapter 14 verse 38. It says, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Let me say it again. Watch and pray, I'm going to insert now, so that you will not fall into temptation later. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, insert now, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need later. You see, you have to put on your armor before the battle begins. I mean, have you ever seen a soldier? Have you ever seen a Marine? Have you ever seen a Navy SEAL? Have you ever seen someone go into battle without any armor? And they go into the heat of the battle and they say, hold on guys, don't shoot at me yet. I got to put on my gear. Hold on, this is good gear and this will deflect what you have going on. But hold on, let me get a minute, let me put on my helmet, let me put on my flak jacket, let me put on all my armor and my gear. No, right? I mean, it sounds kind of silly to even talk about it. Why? Because we need to put on our armor before the battle, but yet sometimes, if we're going to be honest with ourselves, we don't do that, do we? We say, I'll be okay. I can deal with the temptation. I can deal with the battle. When that moment of temptation comes, I mean, I have a few scriptures that I've memorized. I'll just pull them out. I'll be good. No. 
You put on your armor before the battle begins. Listen to this quote from Ellen White in the book on prayer. Do not leave your closet until you feel strong in God. Don't you love that? Do not leave your closet until you feel strong in God. By the way, she's not talking about don't leave your closet as far as things that you are wearing. She's saying do not leave your prayer closet. Do not leave that devotional time. Don't push away from that table just yet until you feel how? Until you feel strong in God. You know, I read this quote some time ago and it impacted me so powerfully that I wrote it on my bathroom mirror as a daily reminder because there would be days sometimes which I'd have my devotional time, but you know, the to-do list would begin to attack me and I would feel the sense of urgency of getting stuff done. Say, okay, I guess I'm good for today. And I would go to take a shower and get ready for the day. And all of a sudden I would run into that quote, do not leave your closet until you feel strong in God. And I'd have to confront my, I'd be confronted and I'd have to ask myself, do I feel strong? And the truth is that a lot of times I did not feel strong yet. So I'd say, okay, God, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back. And I would go back to my kitchen table where I have my devotions. It's nothing fancy. And I would eat until I had some meat. I would eat until I felt full And you will know when you've arrived at that point. You know what it feels like to be physically full, and you know what it feels like when you feel strong in the Lord. And when I've reached that time, now I say, okay, God, now I'm ready to get ready for the day. Why? Because I already put on my armor. I'm ready for the day. And not in some kind of presumptuous, overconfident kind of way, but in a, I'm, gonna, I'm planning on a walking with Jesus every moment of this day. So here's the question I want to ask you. How are you doing in your walk with God? Is there some error in your life that you have continually been coming back to? Is there this road that you often will turn off into that's full of those potholes of sin that you continually jar yourself with? My prayer today is that you would implement some of these things in your life. And my prayer is that above all else, that you would believe based upon the authority of God that the resurrected Jesus can give you victory over that thing in your life. So I want to make an invitation to you today. I want to invite you to pull out your Connect card. If you're a guest with us here today, we are glad you are here. I invite you to take a moment on the front of the card, put your name, your contact, whatever you want to put on there, but then turn to the back of the card. And there are a few next steps 
that we want to challenge you to. Every single week, we believe there's some kind of next step that somebody can make in their walk with God. And here's the first one. I want to claim God's promise of victory in my life. John 8, 36, if the Son sets you free, you shall be free indeed. That's the promise of John chapter 8, verse 36. So maybe today God is, is convicting you. And you want to say, you know what, I want to claim that promise of victory. Even though I'm not experiencing victory right now, I want to believe by faith that I can have that victory. Just check that off. The second one, I want to memorize 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I believe that that is something that every single person that is here today should check off. Every single Christian needs to have that scripture in their arsenal of scriptures that are memorized. I'm just telling you. For all those that are watching online, this is one that you need to have in your toolkit. First, John 1, 9. I can't tell you how many times I've claimed that promise over that, and that prayer over my own life. I said, God... You say that if I confess that you are faithful and just to forgive, so here I am again, Lord. I'm confessing to you. Will you forgive me? And the beautiful thing is that God never fails at forgiving. When we come to him with the heart of repentance, he never fails at forgiving. Number three, I want to serve in the hospitality center for the Passion Play on March 26th. Look at the quote that I inserted there at the very end. This could have been a fourth, this could have been a fifth principle to this message, but strength to resist evil is best gained by aggressive effort. Have you noticed that in your life? Somehow God grows us through service. When we're engaged in serving or reaching somebody else for Jesus, God strengthens us and he grows us through that process. And so just a few short weeks from now, we are having the passion play. We haven't had it for several years here on this campus, but thousands upon thousands of people are going to flood through this campus just a few short weeks from now to participate in the passion play. People from this town People from this region, in fact, are going to come here to participate and see this visual story of Jesus Christ. It's going to be powerful. And the one piece that Pioneer Memorial Church is totally responsible for is the hospitality center. It's really simple what we do there. People have just finished going through the resurrection scene. They go through the hospitality center, and we mingle with them. We serve them hot chocolate. It's really simple. If you can smile or if you can give some hot chocolate, you're golden. You can be involved in that. It's really super easy. So if you want an opportunity to serve, I mean, there's so many different ways to serve in this church. Just check that off. But that's a great one. We need 300 volunteers to be involved in that. We're going to impact this community in a powerful way. By the way, next week, you're going to have another opportunity, a really great one. So many of you know that we have a church in Benton Harbor, a church plant it's called Harbor of Hope. And we're going to have a really special prayer consecration service next Sabbath afternoon. You're going to hear about it, more about it next Sabbath. So guys, I want to pray with you. But I wonder if there's someone here today, though. You, know, you see the right side of the card. 
I'm interested in beginning a relationship with Jesus. Maybe today you want to begin that relationship or you want to reconsecrate that relationship. You can check that off. If you've never been baptized, let me just tell you, you need to be baptized. Stop fooling around. Stop messing around. You need to be baptized. And would love to talk with you, would love to study with you, would love to come beside you as you learn about more as you learn more about Jesus and what it means to surrender your life to him in baptism. So there's a few other next steps there. I'm going to pray, and after the prayer, the ushers are going to receive the morning's tithes and offerings, and that's also the place where you can put your completed connect card. But let's bow our heads as we pray together. Father, I want to thank you for every single person here today. I want to thank you for the power of Jesus who is alive and is standing next to the throne of the Father right now. I thank you that his power is available to us. His resurrection power is available to us. I thank you that you have the power to turn a heart of stone into a heart of flesh. I thank you that you have the power to give us victory over these different sins in our life. And so now, Father, as people have made some decisions here today, I want to ask that you would give them the power and the boldness to follow through with those decisions and to do what you've convicted them to do. So bless them, be with them, protect them. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.